Stories Bigger Than Texas, the Alamo podcast. Victory or death, the only outcomes a battle of the Alamo could possibly have. History remembers these stirring words, written by William Barrett Travis, with the Alamo garrison surrounded and the Texan army outnumbered. Now, for just the second time since it left Travis's hands, the letter will soon be back at the Alamo, the very place it was written. The Travis Letter, on loan from the Texas State Library and Archives Commission, will be on display inside the Alamo exhibit at the Ralston Family Collection Center from February 23rd through March 24th. In this special episode, we'll reveal its journey from its home archive in Austin, how you can be among the first to see it, and why the Travis Letter holds such a special place in Texans' hearts. I'm your host, Emily Balkum. We're joined by the Alamo senior curator, historian, and lecturer, Ernesto Rodriguez, and the Alamo's collection manager, Misty Lanham. It's always good to set the scene. What is happening around William Barrett Travis as he's writing this famous letter? So at this point, the Mexican army has begun to arrive in town on the day before, on February 23rd. They have taken the town without firing a shot. Now, Travis is looking around, and he's noticing that there's people coming, and they're coming, and they're coming. So the army of Mexico is gaining its strength. He can look around his garrison and see that they are undermanned. So the first thing you do is you ask for help, and he will do so on February 24th. That ending, victory or death, with just those three words, it shows just how high the stakes are. Absolutely. We're either going to persevere or we're going to die. There's no in-between because Santa Ana had let them know there was no surrender. But in addition to this, what's really neat about it is it's not the first time that the phrase was used. Travis knew the power of words. And so we have to keep in mind that among the Texas revolutionaries were participants in the American Revolution, their sons, their grandsons. And so the ideas of, to kind of borrow from Travis a little bit more, liberty, patriotism, and everything dear to the American character was very real and fresh for them. So in using this phrase, Travis was hearkening back to George Washington. And Travis is addressing people all over the world in a very distinct manner. What did he write? So what he's writing is it's a plea. And it's a plea for help. And when he says to all Americans all over the world, he's basically calling to anyone that believes in the American ideal, that idea of a free republic and the rights of man. And so that's what he's doing. He's doing a broad stroke because he knows that this letter is not only going to reach the provisional government, but it will be published and sent out. And wherever there is a person that believes in liberty and in that idea that the American colonists had created in this new republic, they will come to the aid. It's calling brothers to come and stand arm in arm against tyranny. Travis writes they've been under continual bombardment. And he's not just holding the Alamo to buy Sam Houston time. The Alamo is the key to Texas. Yes, it is. And it's a key to Texas in the sense that it sits on all the major roads that come from the south-north. So it's a key stronghold. You control the roads, you control supplies, you control goods, you control the messages, you control everything. So it's really strong to hold this. It also is a key because if you break the lock, you get to the east and you hit the colonies. So this is one of the last strongholds before you're able to get to the colonies to the east. What was the letter's path once it left Travis's hands? So the letter leaves Travis's hands, and it actually takes off from from the Alamo with Albert Martin. Albert Martin carries it to Gonzalez. 
At Gonzalez, he handed it over to a gentleman by the name of Lancelot Smither. A copy is made of that letter for the mayor of Gonzalez, Andrew Ponton. Smith leaves with the original letter. From there, on the 25th, Andrew Ponton will then send the letter, the copy, to uh, Nacogdoches. On the 26th, the raging companies begin to mount up, and they're going around. For, they're getting ready to start their march towards the Alamo. So it has done part of its job. On the 27th, Lancelot Smithers will reach San Felipe de Austin. The Committee of Safety there produces 200 copies of that letter, and they're printed in the Telegraph and Texas Register. On the 28th, the letter arrives at Washington on the Brazos, and on March 2nd, it's printed in the Texas Republican. And then on the 5th, it's, it's printed once again in the Texas Telegraph and Register. And so the letter travels really, really fast for someone on horseback to travel 199 miles. But even publishing it March 5th, that doesn't help. No, it doesn't help in the sense of, in the modern day sense. But it does help because that letter, with its arrival at Washington and its arrival at San Felipe de Austin, it's reaching Nacogdoches, it has produced the effect that he wants. The only problem is they don't make it on time. Travis um, is hoping that they can hold out long enough for help to come. And help does come, but it doesn't get here on time. When the Alamo does fall, there's a group of men that are waiting at Gonzalez to march to the aid of the Alamo. About 400 men are ready to go. They just don't get here on time. And the reason is, how do you travel? By foot, if you don't have a horse. And traveling by foot is not as fast as a car. Help takes time. And that's the one thing the defenders of the Alamo did not have. After the battle, when did people recognize, hey, this is a letter worth preserving? According to T. Slack, Texas State Library and Archives Commission, after the revolution, the letter was returned to the Travis family and his great-grandson sold the letter in 1893 to the Texas Department of Agriculture, Insurance, Statistics, and History, which is the predecessor of T. Slack. The letter lives now at the Texas State Library and Archives Commission in Austin. How is it stored there and how long has it been there? So the letter has been stored there much like we store our artifacts and documents and archival quality materials without light as much as possible and all of those things to help preserve it. Like many other archives, TSLAG does not allow pens, bags, notebooks, food, or drinks. And all of these rules are in place to protect the artifacts and keep them in as good of condition as possible. We're so grateful the commission is loaning the letter to the Alamo for just the second time since it left Travis's hands back in 1836. It's already getting a big buzz around Texas with media coverage all over the state. What precautions are being taken for the letter to get from Austin to the Alamo? So we can't talk about this too much because some of this needs to stay on the download. Top if secret. You will. Right. Um, but it'll be heavily guarded during its transport, its arrival, installation in the case, and while it's on display here at the Alamo. It'll be on display in our documents room upstairs at the Ralston Family Collection Center. And while it's here, what special conditions has our collections team prepared to ensure the letter's safety? So if I were to say, like no extra special precautions, that sounds really bad. But we also keep our documents in the highest level of good climates and conditions and things like that as possible. Um, we have the same climate standards as T-SLAC, so that works out really well. Like our other documents, we'll monitor the temperature and humidity of the room and the case, and if adjustments are needed, we'll make those. We have lighting monitors that we'll use to be sure that the letter's not getting too much light, which can fade the ink. 
The big difference is that the letter has its own protective cover. It's called an optium acrylic case, which fits into the artifact case and helps to filter even more light and further protect the letter. So the fact that since the letter was here last time in 2013, the Alamo in the past year has built the Ralston Family Collection Center with all of these state-of-the-art protection capabilities. That's a big plus for bringing back the Travis letter. Absolutely, and it, I think, made it a little bit easier for TSLAC to agree for us to borrow it again because we had all these measures in place. And it is such a precious document. Both of you saw the Travis letter when it was last at the Alamo in 2013. Ernesto, you worked here. Misty, you made a memorable journey to see it. Tell us your experiences. So the arrival of the letter, the last time it was here, was a very special time for us here at the Alamo. It, w- it uh, coincided with an exhibit on some rare documents, including one of, the, one of the printed copies of the Texas Declaration of Independence owned by Samuel Maverick. But the letter itself was very special because it allowed us the opportunity to bring a letter home for the public to view in a place where it was written and they had not ever had a chance to see it. It was a, it was a time in which... We didn't know if it would ever come back. So we had lines that lasted six to seven hours. My day at work started at six in the morning and ended after 11 p.m. And it was inside the Alamo Church. It was in the church. And uh, we had to bring in special uh, HVAC systems in order to be able to keep the temperature and humidity at a constant level. We had 24-hour DPS security along with our rangers. It was a gigantic production. And... I think in the end, our guests were able to see something very special. One of the most incredible things about that letter being here is that if you were in line prior to 530, we would have a staff member stand at the back of that line and you would still be able to see the letter. No matter how long that line was, if you were in it at 530, you got in to see it. It made it a really special time because we understood that the lines were long and we were not going to send anyone away if they were here specifically for that. It also helped us to bring people to the Alamo a little later to work. So I guess that's my segue in. Um, At the time, I was going to school at Stephen F. Austin in Nacogdoches, and I heard that the letter was coming, and it was back for the very first time, and I was like, man, I have to figure out how to get there. And I only had one day off, March 2nd. I did not put that together. Texas Independence Day. Yes, exactly. And so I asked my friends over there and they were like, you're crazy for driving that far just to see a document, da, 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 da. So I convinced my mom and little brother to come with me. And we got in line. Like Ernesto said, it was about a six-hour wait. Um, Thankfully, because it was Texas Independence Day, we had a lot of entertainment because we have all the ceremonies out front. Um, A really great speech from Jerry Patterson that made me feel all riled up and Texan inside. Former Texas General Land Commissioner. Yes, that's correct. And um, as we were standing there in line, my mom, who's not a history person, unfortunately, um, turned to me and she said, why are we doing this? And so I explained the Travis letter and I explained this moment and that he was facing just about certain death unless this letter got out and encouraged people to come in and that, you know, it's the first time of it coming back. And we know the result that we got the 32 from Gonzalez, but not enough came in and he faced that defeat that you know, he was concerned about. And um, she actually started crying a little bit when we got inside. And I was like, yes, this is what I'm supposed to be doing. And so like Ernesto said, that was kind of my my way to figure out my path in life and that this is really where I wanted to be. Now you work at the Alamo. I do. And you're part of the team bringing the Travis letter back and ensuring its protection while it's here. I am. It's so exciting. It's such an honor. 
So we remember, you guys remember the long lines from 2013. Ernesto mentioned people waiting for hours to see the letter. I understand your teams have worked very hard to make the experience easier for people this time. So to make this experience run a lot smoother for everybody, make sure that everybody can come see it that would like to. There are some things that you can do to get ready for that, um, such as going ahead and getting your tickets in advance. They are online right now. Go ahead and book those tickets to make sure that you're able to visit. Also, it's a great time to join Friends of the Alamo. On the 22nd of February, we'll have a members-only preview so you can avoid the lines and be among the first to see the letters. Members will also get expedited access during the month the letter's here. The Alamo exhibit is a paid experience, but we want this important piece of history to be accessible to everyone. So there are free afternoons scheduled, select Monday and Tuesday afternoons, and you can plan your visit at thealamo.org. And when people walk into the documents room where the Travis letter is going to be, Ernesto, what are they going to see? They're going to see the most important document written by a Texan. It'll be showcased in a case that'll stand out above all the rest in that room. We are hoping to put out some artifacts that will help to tell the story of Travis and the letter and couriers because couriers are the, the one factor that most people don't really think about. Couriers left the Alamo. A few came back. The majority did not, but the ones that came back are the ones that helped to defend the site afterward. So this will allow us to be able to showcase it in a way that the letter will stand out and it'll be in a room with items that tell the story of Travis, tell the story of the couriers, tell the story of Texas. So it will be a special place, not only in my heart, but in the hearts of those that visit. The Alamo wants to get you involved as we experience the historic return of the Travis Letter. Here to tell us more is the education team's STEM education specialist, Morgan Oldham. The education team is really excited about the Travis Letter coming back to the Alamo, and we've come up with a letter writing activity that folks can participate in by accessing it either in person or online. The activity is almost like a choose your own adventure, but with letter writing. We wanted to center this activity around handwriting a letter because it isn't something we think about now. However, at the time of the Travis letter and up until about the mid-1900s, sending letters was the primary means of communication, especially across distances. In the 1800s, writing letters was almost like an art form. There were pretty strict guidelines for everything, from the structure of the letter to how you begin and end, and even the size and color of the paper. So our goal with this letter writing activity is to bring back some of that handwritten magic. For people who haven't written a letter in a while or maybe have never written a letter, it walks you through the different components of an 1800s letter, like the salutation and postscript, and gives some examples of what you can include. And of course, my favorite part, we included some 1800s slang that folks can use to make things a little more authentic to the time. You can pick up the letter writing activity in person when you come see the Travis Letter or find it on the Travis Letter section of the Alamo's website. Thank you, Morgan. Our conversation continues now with Ernesto and Misty. The Travis Letter includes a postscript. What did he write in the postscript? The postscript is one of those things that he talks about, basically a shopping list of items that they have available. And one of the things that they have is beeves or cattle. And we actually have the receipt for those heads of cattle. So it actually helps us to tell the story because if you just read the letter, you assume that they rounded up cattle and brought them in. No, Travis actually purchased them from a local rancher named Ignacio Perez. He gives them an IOU 
Unfortunately, Travis will not pay that IOU, but the signer of the Declaration of Independence by the name of Francisco Ruiz will actually go back and pay the debt. That's how important this revolution was, that someone went back and paid that debt. And when people are in the same room as the Travis letter here at the Alamo, they will be able to see that extra document. Yes, they will. They'll be able to see it. It is in Spanish, so we're going to transcribe it. And it's, it is a very special piece. This is the letter history remembers. That's why we call it the Travis letter. But he wrote more than one letter during this time, correct? Yes, he did. He wrote many letters. And one of the most fetching letters is about his son, Charles. And he writes to a friend named David Ayers. And uh, he basically says, take care of my son, Charles. And he says, if I would have, if I were survive, I would have made him a wonderful fortune. But it's one of those things that it's a, it humanizes the story. This is a father. Like many others that were in this, in this situation, they were fathers, they were sons. This is a story of a human being writing a letter, an emotional letter. He knows that if this plea is not answered, the only, an- the only response will be death. He's hoping for the victory part. And Misty, there's a letter Travis wrote on March 3rd that shows growing desperation. Yes, so he writes two letters on that day, one to the convention to give them an update and one to Jesse Grimes. And in both of those, you can see that building desperation. And in the letter to Grimes, he writes that his bones would reproach his country for her neglect if help was not sent, which is just so powerful. Travis did have a way with words. Was he an educated writer? How did he get this reputation as such a wordsmith? He was. I think that just knowing how powerful words could be and how they spread around and that sort of thing, but he was also a lawyer, so he was educated. He had previously been a school teacher as well. He was also a prolific reader. He read and read and read. And so in in his diary, you can see that he's reading everything he can get his hands on. And again, the Travis letter that we're going to have at the Alamo, that is the one history remembers, the one about to go on display for one month. What do you hope visitors take away from the experience? So for me, documents are just my favorite. Um, So I hope our visitors can have that moment with the Travis letter and with our other letters to feel the emotion of the person writing the letter, which you typically can't get from an artifact. Also, to really get a sense of the context that the siege is just beginning and Travis and the rest of the garrison hope and believe that help is on the way, that there's a chance that maybe they will defeat the Mexican army. They're optimistic and determined to fight for Texas and the great nation that they hope it'll become. What does this letter say today about the spirit of Texas? I would say that we're proud, we're resilient, we're determined, we're ready to fight what we believe is right. To paraphrase a few lines from another Travis letter, he's talking about how the odds are against the Alamo garrison, and he says, I will do the best I can under the circumstances and feel confident that the garrison's valor and courage will not fail them, that even though we may be defeated, the victory will cost the enemy so dear that it'll be worse for them than a defeat. The Travis letter, one of the things about it is that if you read the letter written by James Bowie and James Clinton Neal early on, They write, we would rather die in these ditches than give them up to the enemy. So the leadership has made the decision. This is going to be the place where they will stand. It's a Texan idea. In times of trouble, people are always excited when the Texan forces show up. Why? Because of what happened here in 1836, what happened at the Alamo in 1805, what happened at Valero in 1718. That identity of the Texan spirit 
was born on this site, and it continues to grow no matter where we are. And so this letter being here and the words written by Travis on that occasion, knowing that the odds are against them, but still saying, I call on you and everything dear to the American character to come to our aid. To this day, people all over the world, when times are tough, call on Americans and Texans for that reason. Ernesto Rodriguez and Misty Lanham, thank you so much for joining us. Be sure to check out the podcast notes. We've linked to everything you need to know about the Travis Letters' return to the Alamo, like how to get tickets and how to join that exclusive sneak preview for Friends of the Alamo members. We've also linked to high-resolution photos where you can read Travis's words up close and also our Alamo education team's letter-writing activity for students and history enthusiasts of all ages. You've been listening to Stories Bigger Than Texas, the Alamo podcast. <laughs>